If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to the Change Physician Podcast. I'm Melissa Katie with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, with our wonderful guest, Dr. Nithya Natrajan. Did I say it correctly? That's right. Yay. She is a family medicine physician, also a certified lactation counselor. And I actually came across her on a Kevin MD article and really piqued my interest. And so thank you for, you know, accepting the invite to be part of the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we always start from the beginning and it always starts with why you even chose to go into medicine. So can you just talk about kind of your mindset and what geared you in that direction? Yeah, of course. Um, So in undergrad, I actually started out as a genetics major and thought I was going to go into research and like went pretty hardcore on doing research my first two years. Um, And then I had this experience in Brazil as part of a study abroad. The University of Georgia has a ton of support for study abroad where I got to work with um, children and their families um, that had cancer. And I worked with them in a group home as well as in the hospital and at their school. And it just made me realize that that human component was something that was missing from the research that I had been doing. Um, And it was was funny because when I sat down with my research mentor and I told her, I think I wanna go to medical school, she said, I knew you would (laughs) because she felt like that aligned with my goals and my desires to kind of reach out and help people in the community much more than research where, you know, it might take 30, 40, 50 years for that to have, you know, meaningful impact. So she kind of knew before I knew, and that's, that's kind of a common thread. I feel like throughout like the last 10 or 15 years of coming to where I am now is like, there's these moments that just stick out as wow, oh my gosh, this, you know, I, I can continue kind of doing what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it in a way that's better for my goals and what I can give back to, to society and to our community. Definitely. And so when you, you know, went through the whole medical school you know, application process and you got in there and when you went through medical school, was there anything that you're specifically targeting for a specialty at all? Yep. So um, I initially thought I wanted to do pediatrics and then I got to third year. And I kind of fell in love with everything. And I, I remember I called my dad, he's an REI. And I was like, dad, I kind of like all of it. And he's like, okay, well, what haven't you done yet? I so said, I told him I haven't done family medicine yet. And he said, all right, well, why don't you see what happens when you do your family medicine rotation? Because if you love taking care of babies and children, but you also love taking care of OB patients and you love taking care of geriatric patients, you can do all of that. You just need to see if it's the right fit. And it was I mean, it was amazing. It was my last rotation of the year and I got that, got there. And I remember thinking, these are my people. This is where I want to be, where I can really connect all the threads of people's care and be able to support them both medically as well as socially and emotionally and kind of really be there for them as an entire person. Gotcha. So um, that's kind of what brought me to family medicine to begin with. Awesome. Can I, I don't want to add on to that because when you were talking about um, when you were doing genetics research, and you mm-hmm. talked to your mentor at the time and they said, oh, I knew you're going to go into medicine. When then you chose family medicine where your classmates or peers were like, oh, of course, this is this is totally you. And, and again, could see what you couldn't see or was that a surprise to them? 
I think it was a little bit of a surprise to my mentors, at least. I think my classmates probably knew. Um, and it was funny because I had specifically requested to have a pediatric preceptor during my first two years. And I got put in a community family medicine clinic. And I was like, well, what am I gonna do there? That's not really where I wanna go, but it was the most amazing experience. And I think it just took really going through clinical rotations and seeing what being a physician in different fields looked like for me to realize that was absolutely where I should have been. And I think a lot of my friends could also tell that, that that was where I should have been to begin with. <laughs> yeah, when, it, when you actually got into family medicine, so I, I assume that was just kind of like a smooth transition, went into family medicine, where, was there any shift in your life or your your career that made you take a different direction or tailor your uh, career or life in a different way? So, um, so it was interesting because I started residency and you have all these ideas of what medicine should be and what being a doctor should be, right? And then the reality hits you of like, this is what working in an insurance-based system looks like. This is what it looks like when you have 10 to 15 minutes with patients. This is what it looks like when you don't even get time to really know who your patients are, right? And I think you know, it, it took a while for me to understand that that was what was bothering me because by the time we get to third year, we're seeing like 12 to 15 patients a day, a, a half day, excuse me. And when you're seeing that many patients, you just don't have time to get to know all of them. And I think that a lot of the reason I went into family medicine was so I could know them, so I could understand their social situation, and so I could understand their needs, and you just can't do that in 10 or 15 minutes, right? Um, and I think there was one, one encounter that just stood out to me. It was a, an older patient. She, she wasn't my patient. They added her onto a schedule where they had already added on, I think, two or three patients. I had like 16, 17 patients that afternoon. Um, so I didn't see her till 5.30. And I walk in the room and her daughter says, I just need you to help my mom. And I said, okay, well, how can I help her? And I just remember I was exhausted and frustrated. I like already worked a ton of time that week. Um, and she was like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong, but somebody needs to help my mom. Um, and, you know, it, I just felt so helpless because it was already 530. There was this drive to get everything done and go. And what this woman needed, it was probably an hour long family conference to figure out what's going on. Right. But that's not something you can do in fee for service or in insurance based care usually. Um, and interestingly, I ended up doing a geriatrics fellowship because of encounters just like that, um, because the job I was supposed to get fell through at the last minute. <laughs> Mm. Um, and I happened to know the geriatric program director and she told me, you know, I think this would be a good fit for you if you're interested, we have a spot. Um, and so I kind of ended up in geriatrics um, for a fellowship. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's interesting because I feel like life has kind of taken me to all these different places for specific reasons, right? Because I'm not really doing geriatrics anymore, but I feel like the basis of geriatrics is getting to know your patients and not just throwing guidelines at them, but saying, this is what makes sense for your care based on your situation. And that's what I'm really trying to do with my business now. And the, the services I'm providing um, is to talk to families and talk to parents and figure out what they need and meet them where they are. And that's why I wanted to do it outside of the traditional system as well. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of where I was with training. And I know you had asked if was there a moment that kind of was life-changing. So um, we had gone through a lot of infertility issues during residency. And then I was able to get pregnant in fellowship with, um, with some assistance. 
from an REI and uh, my program director was amazing. And then we had our baby right at the end of fellowship and I had this massive postpartum hemorrhage in the hospital. And then I went home and it happened again at home. And it was like the most terrifying experience I've ever had. Um, and thankfully my dad happened to be there and he was like, this is not normal. You need to go to the hospital right now. Um, and he, he knows my OB personally from, you know, professional experience and things like that. So he called his cell phone. He was like, you need to get her in right now. She's like actively bleeding out here. Um, and so I remember going to the hospital and I think I was not really processing what was happening. So I got there and they said my hemoglobin was, I think it was under six when I got there. My blood pressures were like 70 over 40. And then the anesthesiologist couldn't find a line. Like he was like, I need to place two large bore IVs and I can't find one. Um, and so he started talking about placing an EJ and all kinds of stuff. And I, I think it just hit me that like, wow, this might be, this might be it. You know, I might not get to see my baby again or my family again. And I think because they acted so quickly, things turned out okay. But I think a lot of people don't get that support. A lot of parents don't get that support. And that's kind of what drew me toward working with new families. Um, and then on top of that, we had a ton of breastfeeding issues. And that's kind of where that lactation counseling portion came in. Wow. So when you kind of give me a little timeline here. So when you finished all your training, how long were you doing um, after the geriatrics fellowship? How long were you doing traditional like you know, family work, I'm assuming, or how did, how did that kind of timeline go? Yeah. Um, so we had our baby like in June of fellowship. And okay. um, I think after everything that happened, I, I hadn't signed a contract with anyone, thankfully. Um, so I ended up working with my dad's practice doing locums. And I worked with his practice for about two years doing that. And so I did a lot of, you know, non IVF infertility management, hormone replacement therapy management for older patients. Um, and again, you know, it was an experience I wasn't expecting, but I got so many great skills and so much great knowledge from that. That's really helping with the breastfeeding practice and with helping patients understand what's going on. Um, and so after our second child was born, which thankfully went fine, um, I ended up going more non-clinical for a little bit and then realized, you know, I really missed the patient care portion, but I wanted to do it in a way that was meaningful to me, as well as in an area that I just was extremely interested in, which um, the perinatal period and breastfeeding and just improving out maternal outcomes is just such a huge issue in our nation right now. And it, it just, it just pulled me to it. So um, the pandemic kind of pushed me into starting it earlier than <laughs> I was expecting to. Um, but again, it all just kind of lined up and it was, you know, there's been all these events that I, at the time felt like they were catastrophic or felt like they were, you know, like what was going on with my life. But then in retrospect, you know, those events are what led to me, led me to where I am now. And I feel like I'm doing something that is truly meaningful and helpful and will hopefully give back. To, to women and families throughout our community. Well, meaningful, helpful, and it, and it kind of strikes those, those chords that, that have been coming up in your story over and over again, this desire to actually get to know your patients and provide this safe space where, where you can provide that educational component and support through really, really challenging times. So um, really cool, really, really cool. And what, what I really like about that is, again, this thread coming up over and over again, and we've heard this in many, many different interviews, is that physicians go into medicine because we want to help people 
And oftentimes the system itself is not set up in such a way. And, and it's sad because in primary care, which you guys have such an important role to pay, play, and the system has shrunk that role because they take away the time in this whole, you know, the, the widget, the widget minded way. So I absolutely applaud what you're doing. And I just, I love it. I mean, I love all the little twists and turns and things. Yeah. Well, it seems like you've had to, you know, evolve and, and adapt and, and, but yet um, kind of clinging on to those things that really appeal to you and, um, and, and knowing where people need to be served. So I'm curious how things look now or what you're building and, and your services, how, how does this work and what, what exactly are you doing now? Yeah, um, so the, the business that I launched um, is called Blossoming Mamas and it's about um, really providing support in the perinatal period. Um, in the last year, I've set it up in the last year or so and we just launched at the beginning of this year. Um, and it's a telemedicine service. Right now we're serving patients throughout South Carolina. Um, and we do a fourth trimester package where we are trying to start people off with a prenatal visit, help them establish breastfeeding and delivery goals, um, and then supporting them through you know, that first trimester uh, through an initial postpartum visit to make sure everything is going well. And then we do at least one follow-up either to help them get back to work or if they're having problems, then we will help with those problems. Um, and then I also offer text messaging and telephone support so they can call me on my cell phone or text message me if they're having an issue and you know, hopefully get help sooner because of that. And then with the telemedicine portion, again, with the pandemic kind of pushing all of this, um, it just made sense to start it with telemedicine because babies are very vulnerable, new moms are very vulnerable, and it just didn't make sense to make them go out somewhere else or bring somebody strange into their home. Um, and so that, that's why I decided to start it with the telemedicine and hopefully expand it um, to be able to have the capacity for in-person visits eventually. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also offering some infertility support and assistance to families that may want to adopt or um, have a surrogate or are you know, not able to have their own children biologically if they want to breastfeed or they want help uh, finding out what their resources are for feeding their infant. We'll provide support for that through, the, through those services as well. Wow, that's that's really great. I think the um, um, I think telemedicine's been kind of a, a new world for a lot of uh, people, but uh, it makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, I'm curious, how are you finding your patients? Are there certain people that you're just connecting with other businesses and they're referring to you, or are you marketing online, or how are you doing that? I'm just curious. Um, yep. So I've, I've been slowly networking with various providers throughout our um, region. We're actually having another baby in April, so I haven't been super aggressive about it. Right now. Oh, wow. um, but I've been talking to other lactation professionals, doulas, um, OBGYN offices, pediatric offices, you know, just just letting them know the services are there um, because there's there's usually a lot of support around what baby needs for breastfeeding, but there's not always a lot of support or knowledge around what mom needs, especially with breastfeeding medicine. There's just, you know, there's data. There's just not many physicians that are aware of it or understand how to manage it. Um, so that I've just been trying to grow it organically and not worrying a lot about volume right now. Sure. Um, and then I'm also doing some social media because the whole point of this to me is to get accurate information to families. And so I've been also doing that more organically, not trying to like do paid ads or anything, but more trying to spread it around to both providers and to patients so that they can learn more about breastfeeding and breastfeeding care and medicine. 
great. That, that perinatal time period is, is so stressful speaking as a parent, you know, I'll never forget. We had our first at the end of internship and I'm like, I, I'll never forget this. Take my son and they're like, okay, you need to go home now. And I'm like, oh crap, I've delivered babies. But what am I supposed to do now? Like, I mean, it was the scariest thing, right? You're, and you're taking this small little person, this little life with you. And, and all I could remember thinking is, holy crap, my wife and I are physicians and we're still terrified. I can't even imagine what this is like for somebody else. So the fact that, that you're being able to provide the service, and I love the fact with the telemedicine makes so much sense for this, because when you are a scared parent and you're a scared mom and you're nervous it's so nice that to, to be able to, and you're exhausted, let's not even forget about that part when, you know, when you have the newborn, uh, that they can reach out to you directly in that way. So I love that. Um, on a not so um, happy note, what I was looking at your website, and I, I just want to talk about this a little bit, is I interested you, you have a consultation on infertility and pregnancy loss, which is an issue I don't think many people talk about or many people are aware of. So could you kind of um, bring that in a little bit more and why did you decide to add that? And what have your experiences been around that? Again, not the happiest niche, but an extraordinarily important one, which I think probably not a lot of people are talking about, people aren't aware of until maybe something horrible happens. And then you're like, well, what do I do now? Right. Well, you know, we know that about one in four pregnancies results in a pregnancy loss. And even if that loss is early, um, it can still be very painful. Right, especially if a family has already been dealing with infertility and now they've lost this baby that they've been waiting for. Um, so the whole purpose behind that is we um, we actually lost three pregnancies between my third um, year in residency and the beginning of fellowship. Um, and I just never told anybody about it, right? And I, I just kind of kept going. And I think that affected everything, right? Because it's it's... It's a, it is a big loss to some people. Some people may not feel as intensely about it. It just depends on how your, you know, how your family is and how you are emotionally with it and what, you know, your, your whole process has been to get to that point. And those were all very wanted pregnancies um, for, for my husband and I, but it, they just didn't work out. And, you know, I, I think that, um, it was just really difficult because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I, I had my one resident friend that I ended up talking to because, uh, you know, there was a lot going on in our program. I was chief resident as well. And we had a lot of transitions and a resident leave the program at the, around the same time all this was happening. Um, and I just remember on inpatient, I told one of the second years, you know, some things don't matter. And my friend was like, we just need to go talk about what's happening. Um, and I'm always, I will always be so grateful for her. She was also my co-fellow and she was just such a huge support through all of this. But some people don't have any support, right? And some, some people don't even have like a spouse or anybody else to rely on when this happens. And a lot of times it's, it's ignored or, you know, your, your job doesn't even know it happens. Or if they do, a lot of times they expect you to just kind of bounce back. But to you, you've lost a baby. To them, it's like, okay, that happened. Now it's over, especially if it's early, right? If it's before 12 weeks, which is when most of this happens, they, they, may, they may not know you're pregnant or even if they do, they're like, I mean, it was before 12 weeks, especially in medicine, right? Because we know it happens all the time, um, which my residency did not know about this. They were not aware about it. My fellowship director knew because we were undergoing fertility treatments, which I didn't need IVF, but 
we still had a lot of doctor's visits and things. But the reason I'm offering the, the visits is because this is such a common occurrence and a lot of people just don't have support to get through it. Um, they don't know what their options are. I think a lot of people are pushed toward IVF when potentially other interventions could help them. Earlier, um, technically I'm not you know, prescribing or anything like that, but I can at least provide that support component and teach them what I've learned through my own journey. Um, and then again, if they're not able to get pregnant, that doesn't mean you can't be a parent. You can still adopt, you can still have a surrogate. There are other options. Um, and I know, you know, for some, some moms or some parents, they do want to have that breastfeeding experience still. So that's another portion of our, uh, our, our offerings is I can help with inducing lactation. And, you know, that that's kind of plus or minus if it'll work, but a lot of it has to do with bonding with the baby. And we can still at least, even if it's just a little bit of milk, they can still feel like they've given that to their child. Um, so that, that was where that whole idea was born. It actually, um, it's interesting because it wasn't a service I was originally offering. And then um, we during Infertility Awareness Month last year, I was just thinking about it. And I was like, there's just not many services for these families, right? There's, there, we talk about it, but who's really supporting them? Who's, who's there to kind of guide them through this very complicated system? Um, and so that's the whole point, the whole reason that I, I decided to start adding that service. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, it, it is such amazing because um, we have some very, very close friends that 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 happened to. And there's a sense, I don't know if it's a sense of, of shame or hiding. And all I can remember is being such good friends with them. They're at our house. And all of a sudden, they just left. They're like, we have to go. And we're like, well, I don't, I, you know, okay. And we didn't really understand what's going on. And it was later they told us that they lost pregnancy at our house and um yeah so i, I it, it is a very emotional thing and, and i'm like man if i i wish they felt safe enough to talk to us but it is so complex sometimes you need someone who is not so close to you to discuss mm -hmm. so i um i just when i as soon as i saw that i just had to had to ask you about it because it is such an important service that again not many people are thinking of until unfortunately those things occur so thank you for that yeah. And I'm curious, even if people aren't in South Carolina, are some of these consultations or some of the counseling that you offer, can, can that be across more like uh, across state lines, more like coaching, or is it have to be in South Carolina? So I've, I've been kind of dabbling at looking into coaching right now. I'm just in South Carolina um, because okay. what I'm offering is technically a medical service. I am going to uh, add consults in Georgia after maternity leave because I'm already licensed there um, and we have a lot of connections there already from growing up in, um, in Georgia. So um, definitely South Carolina and Georgia. I'm hoping eventually to add co the coaching services. I just need to get a better understanding of how to make that happen. Sure. Sure. The degree makes it more difficult. You know, someone can throw up a shingle and say they're a coach and then advertise across the United States. But as soon as you're right. a physician, you actually have knowledge all of a sudden we have all this other stuff we need to think about. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 you got to make it very clear that that little, it's hard to ignore the background in your mind of what you've learned as a physician, but it's, it's like, as long as you're not diagnosing and treating per se, like it's such a, such right. a, 
nebulous overlap that um, it can be tricky. But, uh, you know, I just ask because if I push it out there to people, you know, there might be people in like Texas or whatever that might need your services. So uh, I'll let you know. But um, if people want to find you um, or discover some other things you're doing, uh, where would you like to direct them for now? Um, so they can go to our website, which is www.blossomingmamas.com. Um, and we have links to our Instagram and Facebook page on there as well. And, you know, even if, uh, even if they're not in South Carolina, if they want to come to South Carolina, anywhere in the state, I can see them as long as they're within the borders of the state. Um, and, you know, even if I can't see them, if they're somewhere else, I'm part of a, I'm part of several breastfeeding medicine networks. So, um, we, a lot of times we'll ask each other, Hey, is somebody practicing in, you know, in Georgia, someone practicing in Florida or California, and we can almost always find somebody um, that can at least do a virtual visit, hopefully, for the breastfeeding medicine part of it. Awesome. Yeah. Any other uh, questions, Kevin? No, other than thank you so much, Nithya, for coming on today. I love it. And I love how you've really sort of taken control of your practice and life and, and designed something that makes a lot of sense for both you as well as providing a valuable service. And Again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to let Melissa take us out because she has this really cool way she does it. I don't know about that. But, you know. <laughs> well, uh, again, thank you, Nithya, for being our guest on the Change Physician podcast. And for those of you that don't know about the Change Physician, just catching us by chance, you can go to the changephysician.com and join the community there. Or if you're a physician ally and would like to be part of the community, you can do that as well. Um, but my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, is so nice to like let me do the takeout here. Um, <laughs> we will plan on seeing you on the next episode. You all take care. Take care Thank both. you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.